What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by old friend Jovan Bua of the Athletic, who has put his hex on the <laughs> other Los Angeles basketball team. It, 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 you love to see it, folks. Jovan, good afternoon. How are you? Yeah, but apparently whenever I cover a team, they underachieve, there's some mm-hmm. drama, there's just, it's, it's, it just follows me, right? What are you doing? What, what have you done? I, I, it's been such a weird year. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that those two seasons have, have also coincided with a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's had a little something to do with it. Um, yeah, I think in, a, in an alternate universe, Last year's Clippers season might have gone a little differently had there not been that pa- uh, the pandemic and, and the break. And uh, I, I think this year's Lakers season would have been a, a little bit different had they had a normal offseason. So uh, I, I guess we'll, we'll never know. Do you miss the Clippers beat at all? You miss watching them every night? Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I mean, like, I, I, I miss it from... I think a a comfort. I definitely had more comfort in in covering the Clippers just in terms of I'd been doing it for so long and had been then you know officially a beat writer for a couple of years and and traveling and you just get to know the players and the coaches and the staff and it's just a different you know I just had a different experience as compared to my consp- uh, my experience with the Lakers right now where I've been covering them for four months. And I've yet to step foot in the locker room or, you know, I've, I've met players over Zoom and stuff, but it, it's not the same as uh, actually having that, you know, hand to hand, you know, kind of or eye to eye level. And um, so I, I think it, it's it's been an interest. It's been an interesting year, of course, for, for everybody. But um, the, the transitioning of of being one beat that you were very comfortable and, and felt like you had a grasp on to another beat that's quite frankly bigger and, and probably more competitive um, and, and then not having that same grasp. It, it's been interesting, but um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm every day I'm kind of learning something new. I'm, I'm getting better, uh, hopefully. And um, I, I think that, uh, you know, this has been Overall, it's it's been it's been a fun year, and um, you know I think covering LeBron is, is something that when I you know, thirty years from now, when I'm looking back on my career, I'll, I'll be able to say that, which is really cool. Well, I do have some bad news for you, Evan. He's injured. <laughs> well, no, he he is injured. That is that is true, um, and I'll want to ask you about that. But um, the Clippers are probably winning the title this year. The year after you you lead the, the beat, the that would be something. Yeah. They, they could. They could, I, I I would, for me. Well, they're they're either second or third for me. I, I still have the Nets first. Okay. Um, I I just think 
it's one of those things where until we we don't know the status of their their big three for the playoffs, but mm. I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that if those three are healthy, I just don't see how they lose. Uh, you know, of course they they got to stay healthy for two months, and and there's no guarantee with that. But that those three together are just ridiculous, and we we've barely seen it. But we've seen that basically any two of the three together are ridiculous and can win seventy percent you know, plus of their games. So um, I think the Nets for me are still, still the favorites. I, I I had Lakers and Nets co-favorites in, until the last few weeks where I, I've grown a little bit skeptical of, of the Lakers' chances. Um, so for me, it's Lakers, Clippers, 2-3 in some order. I, I go back and forth. Uh, but but I do think right now the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers, this is kind of what we expected from them last season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you know the 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 winning in spite of not having guys and and just you really feeling like this is a deep versatile team that can play any style like they had some of that last season but I, I think Ty is it's probably a better roster this year I would say but but also Ty has unlocked some things and I think has done a better job that, than Doc did so um, yeah I mean I, I think the Clippers and no one's really talking about it I, I think you know you you are one of the the few people I, I've hear like I've heard from a national you know, non-LA, uh, you know, sphere, like talk about it where it's just, everyone's talking Lakers, Nets, Bucks, Sixers, Jazz, Suns, uh, though, you know, even Denver now with, with how well they've played and, and Jokic probably being the MVP, like they have, the Clippers have flown under the radar and I think they like that, but I also, I think they should be in that conversation. I was going to say, this is probably for the best for Paul George and Kawhi in this group to be flying into the radar right now. Um, I agree. It's different. Their roles are better. I like that they're more top-heavy than they were last year, and they don't have the weird dynamic of we're the old guard that uh, played above our heads, that Tobias Harris and Gallinari and Lou Will and all that kind of stuff, which was fun, but different different group. And um, now it's just it's just different. Um, I'm still wondering about the point guard spot. Ronda, we'll see what he does in the playoffs. But Kennard in and out. Like, I, I just uh, I'm a little concerned about the Batum stuff and just how healthy and how much he has done this year for them, both starting and off the bench. But um, I don't know. I think the Clippers, I, I believe in them more than anybody else. And I think the Lakers before the season, I had them like a, I would be floored if they went back to back. And it wasn't because I didn't believe in the talent. It was because of the kind of season and what they had to do to get through the gauntlet and the bubble and then to come back and run it right back with Anthony Davis, where we've never really seen that before. Back to back, just he's ready to go being Anthony Davis for two straight seasons no health issues, no anything. Um, and the West is better than it was a year ago. It's a longer season. They didn't get much time off. And I just think the it's just different with the way they had to come back and what they're having to deal with. And it it's not surprising that they're dealing with injury issues and people in and out of the lineup and stuff like that just because of what they did last year and uh, just how many miles and just what uh, their current predicament is. Is that fair? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow digital workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only half the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now platform. So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I recently wrote a few days ago uh, a story with my colleague Bill Orem, uh, who, who's my uh, Lakers co-beat writer with. Um, and we, we did like 10 warning signs <laughs> that this season was not going the, the way the Lakers wanted. And, and that, you know, first one was just short off season, like shortest off season in NBA history. And I know that that's circumstantial just because of the pandemic and everything, but it is what it is. Like they had 71 days off, right? Like that, that is barely, you know, two, not even two and a half months where, you know, even a typical, you know, typical NBA off season for a champion is four months. If you miss the playoffs, you're looking at almost six months. Um, so to have barely over two months, like that, that's just unprecedented. And Anthony Davis basically said what you said, you know, earlier in the season to me uh, when I when I interviewed him for a feature I wrote that he was just like, yeah, normally in the off season I take a month, like I take the first, like whenever my season ends, I take that next month off. I don't touch a basketball. I don't touch a weight. Like I just let my body rest and recover and decompress from the season. And then the second that, you know, that 30th day or 31st day, I'm back in the gym, I'm back weightlifting, I'm back in my groove. And I didn't get to do that because, uh, you know, a, a month after the season, I'm looking at a month from now we're back in training camp and, and I have to get back in shape. So, I, I mean, AD, I guess, did take that rest. And, and I think that's why he had a slow start to the season was just he wasn't fully in shape and, and wasn't fully back to himself. And I, I think we've seen that. But yeah, I mean, th this, this has been the hardest season, and I, or you know, arguably, uh, I guess. But I, uh, I actually un uncovered this this number that I think is interesting. That I went back and looked at from the modern era, so seventy nine, eighty through now. Uh, I, I looked at every repeat NBA champion and how many games their best two players missed in that repeat season, and. With the exception of like the the '95 Rockets, who had a, a bit of a weird team where it was like Hakeem, and then you don't really know who the second guy is. Eventually, they traded for Clyde Drexler, so he clearly became the second guy. But the first half of the season, they didn't really have a guy. Outside of that, it was pretty clear because it's Scotty and M, uh, you know, Scotty and MJ, and, and Shaq and Kobe, and uh, Kobe and Powell, and, and LeBron and, and Dwayne Wade, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so looking at all those teams and, and all their repeat seasons. Uh, no team ha had repeated with their two best players missing more than 45 games. The the Katie mm. Steph 2018 Warriors w were the team that and and that team was just so loaded and, and had already you know been what four straight finals at that point. Like 
They were in a groove. They, they knew what they were doing. They were coasting in the regular season. Those guys missed 45 games. They still won the title. But this year's Lakers team, uh, LeBron and AD have now missed 57 games. So 12 more games than those Warriors. LeBron is going to miss the next two games. That takes them to 59. So we've never seen a team repeat with their two stars missing this much time. And really by the time, depending on when he comes back, like both LeBron and AD will have missed 30 plus games. So at that point, you're just looking at it like we've just never seen a team have this type of you know lack of continuity in the regular season and overcome that and, and win a repeat championship because we know that second season is always harder than the first season. Yeah. Tired legs, you, you play deep into the playoffs. like, And then now having this offseason, the injuries they've had, the turnover, right? They didn't bring back a lot of the same roster. Pr- pretty much over half the rotation is new. Uh, it's just it's a lot to overcome, and I, I think if they do it, it's just LeBron and AD are that great, and and they're just you know they're the best duo in the NBA. But if they don't, I think there are some clear reasons why they won't repeat. Stylistically on the court, has some of it been just some choices? Um, the Marcus All signing, the Andre Drummond trade, um, how Schroeder's fit in. Um, what have you seen from the? Because we that is a big part of this too is the the offseason changes and the roster turnover. But um, the Drummond stuff is bad, and this was one of those. Oh, here is a name, not necessarily a good fit for what we're doing. Um, like <laughs> I don't even see how he's a rotation guy in the playoffs because like the difference with Drummond <clears throat> and Howard for me is that Drummond is still extremely young and sees more opportunities for himself offensively than Dwight ever did. And Dwight knew exactly who he was in Los Angeles and knew exactly what he was supposed to do in Los Angeles. And I think it's a little bit different. Um, I don't know. Are you, what do you think about the big rotation and guys getting out of the rotation like us all and their offseason signings? And do you think that is a bigger part of this than even just the, the time, like the time off? Well, yeah, I, I, I felt you know, it's funny because there are some trends with, I guess, teams I cover because I felt this was the situation. The Zubach situation. Yeah, two years ago, with the, or I guess last year with the Clippers, mm-hmm. where everyone was making this big fuss about the center spot. And I was like, you know, like, but but it was funny because it, it would be like, oh, they have Montrezl Harrell, and, mm-hmm. and, but he can only play so much. And then that other spot. And I was like. You guys are have it twisted here. Number one, Avita Zubats is better, uh, <laughs> and number two, Montrez isn't going to be able to play at the highest levels in the playoffs. He's not going to be able to play in the semifinals, conference finals, finals. Like he's going to get exposed and picked on defensively. Uh, so that played out where Zubats was clearly the better center, and Trez got exposed in the playoffs. Um, and there's some more factors there, you know, personal stuff with him. He, he missed a month in the bubble, but. I, I think that affected his offense more than his defense. His defense was the same it had been all season. Teams targeting him in the post, targeting him in the pick and roll. And so looking at this Lakers team, I, it was kind of a similar thing where, again, you know, I mean, I think there was more skepticism with Trez this year. You know, people weren't as high on him. Uh, but a lot of Marcus Soul criticism when, if you actually watch the film and look at the numbers, uh, like Marcus Soul is, is still. He's not all-star Marcus Gasol. He's not even like that 2019 Toronto version of Marcus Gasol that that won the title. But he's still a very productive and and good defensive player. 
And, you know, he's the type of guy where because he's so slow, his mistakes look really bad, right? Like when he rotates slowly and a guy like will dunk on him or like get a foul, like that's when, you know, Lakers Twitter, NBA Twitter is like, oh, look at Marcus Gasol, he's washed. But that you're missing the other five possessions where he did rotate correctly and he's actually averaging a, a career high uh, in, in block rate this year, which is crazy for like a 36-year-old non-athletic center to do. Uh, but but he's protected the rim really, really well. And the Lakers' defensive numbers and net rating have been really good with Marcus on the floor. So, I, And then I also, I mean, the elephant in the room is that Anthony Davis is their best center. Anthony Davis should be playing half of his minutes at center. He, he played 60% of his minutes at center in, in last postseason. And so that was my other thing. I was like, if you're playing Anthony Davis 20 to 24 minutes at center, you only need to split Mark and Trez for another 20 to 24 minutes or, or you know, however much um, in the playoffs. And you can kind of go series by series. Is this a Mark series? Is this a Trez series? You can even go Markeith Morris at the five. So I, I didn't personally, I didn't feel like they needed another high usage like rotation center. I was fine with Damian Jones. Um, I, I felt they needed another body just because there was a couple times where like Mark got COVID and, and then it really was like 80 really still didn't want to play the five. So it was like, you know, Trez at the five, Keith at the five. Okay, you're too small. You need a third center on the roster. But I didn't think it, they needed like an Andre Drummond. So once they got Drummond, I was like, okay, it is what it is. Like, I, I think th- that was something that LeBron and AD probably pushed for. You know, like Andre Drummond is a name. He's a two-time All-Star. He's still only 27. People forget how young he is. Uh, but the, I think Andre Drummond is fine. I think he, he's clearly flawed. Uh, I never want to see him post up again. That, that's just been uh, really painful to watch. But he, he can do something. Like, he, he's he's better defensively than I thought, I, I will say. Like, I'm not saying he's good defensively, but he's better than I thought he was defensively. Um, and, and, you know, he still rebounds well. He, he can finish you know, as long as he's not doing post-ups. Uh, <laughs> but for me, it's well, my biggest thing over the, the last, um, you know, few weeks is I didn't get why it was this binary decision of Mark's the backup center or Trez is the backup center. T- to me, it should be matchup based. It should yeah. be game by game based where like t- to me, Marcus Gasol is their best center. Like I'm just going to say it like Marcus Gasol. If you look at the, the season wide scope of, the, the data, the film, the fit with AD, the fit with the guards, Marcus Gasol is their best center. And to take him from being the starting center to the third string center, collecting DNPs before this last game against Denver, where he was the MVP of the game, he had collected a DNP in nine of his last 13 games. So, like, I, I think Frank Vogel has to figure out the balance of, you know, there are going to be some matchups where, where Mark isn't good. If they're playing the Nets or the Clippers... I think those teams are going to go too small and expose him on the perimeter, and those aren't good matchups for him. But when they're playing Denver, Utah, uh, Philly, these teams with these seven-footers that are elite, you need Marc Gasol more than Andre Drummond or Montrezl Harrell. So I don't know how Frank Vogel juggles that because I think all three guys are sensitive. All three guys have egos. All three guys want to play, and it's tough to bench one and maybe even two of them. But I think Marc Gasol needs 15 minutes a night and, and then you figure out the other 33 minutes at center split it between Drummond and Trez Drummond and AD whatever but I I, I think Mark needs to play and that's something that's been clear is when he's played over these last few weeks 
they've looked great. And, and he's run the second unit on both ends of the floor. And I, I just I think that's one thing that's clear is that and for me, I guess I would bench Montrez Harrell at this point. I would just say Drummond's going to play 15 to 20 minutes a night. Uh, Mark is going to play 10 to 15 minutes a night. And then the rest of the minutes go to 80 at the five. That, that would probably be how I handle it realistically because Andre Drummond's going to start. They're not going to bench him. It is what it is. Um, you know, I, I disagree with it, but that that's just the reality. Do you think Schroeder is going to be around for the long term? Like re-signing him? Yeah. Do you think that's going to happen or do you think that's pretty bad right now? Uh, I, well, it, it's tough. I mean, th- th- I think this, this whole health and safety protocols situation ha- has made it more difficult because, you know, as, as, um, Bill Orm and I r- reported around the trade deadline, um, one of the reasons there was, of course, the, the obvious talent upgrade of, of you know, consolidating uh, multiple rotation guys and, and turning them into Kyle Lowry and kind of having somewhat of a big three. Um, but you know, the, the second kind of ancillary part of that was that Dennis and the Lakers have been negotiating a, a contract extension all season. And Dennis has been asking for 20 plus million. And the Lakers, I think, are, are willing to get close to the 20 million and, and maybe even in that 2021 range. But he's been wanting even more than that. And I think for them, they're kind of taking the approach of let's just see, you know, if, if, if you want that type of money, like we got to see that in the playoffs. Like we, we got you got to be the third guy. You got to be the Tony Parker of this team and, and, and be that quick, efficient you know, guard who's getting to the rim, finishing in the paint, running the offense, playing good defense. Like we got to see that from you for multiple playoff rounds if, if you want that 20 plus million. So I think they've been in a bit of a standoff and, and that was part of the reason why they were willing to move him to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know like what we're going to see from him because I mean, reading between the lines, like health and safety protocols, 10 to 14 days that usually means you have COVID or, or you know, are, are a very close contact to someone with COVID. So, I mean, at a minimum, he's basically out the, the rest of the regular season. He, he might have one or two games left but by the time he comes back. And then it's like you're going straight into the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know how you fairly judge him. And then if he, if, he did, if he does have COVID, like we've seen guys, you know, are Tatum. affected by that for – weeks months yeah. um like so i, I think th- this is a hit to that now i will say looking at the free agent market and looking at who has cap space i personally don't see a clear fit for him like i, I don't see a team that's out there saying we're gonna pay dennis schroeder 20 plus million to be our starting point guard like i, I, j- I just don't see it if he wants to go to a lottery team and, and maybe <laughs> like go back to okc or, or i don't know maybe, maybe the knicks you know, the Knicks have a bunch of cap space. Maybe they, they throw it at him. And, um, you know, I, I know that they obviously have a lot of guards there, but I think he, he, he I mean, fit in Peyton right now. Like you, you put yeah, Schroeder like in maybe Peyton he goes spot. to New York. Yeah. But um, th- th- that's one, I, I guess. But f- I, I just I think that's pretty high for, for him. Like I view him as like a guy who's worth 16 to 18 million a, a, a year and, and is a probably a, a starting level player. But. For me, he's probably in in the back half of that starting. Like he's he's more in that like sixteen to twenty two range in, in terms of starting point guards. Yeah. And at that, I mean, you could maybe justify twenty million, but 
yeah, I mean, so I, I would say right now it's trending in a negative direction. I, I do expect him, as of now, I'll say I expect him back, but I, I don't think he's getting the money that he thinks he's getting. Interesting. Um, do you think it would be in the best interest for Indiana Pacers management to stop hiring coaches with the first name Nate? <laughs> uh, it looks like they're trending towards 0 for 2 on this front within a year. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I, I, I would like to just see Indiana tear it down and go through a, a proper rebuild. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's admirable what they've done. If you really look at the history of the Pacers, uh, they've like never been bad. Like yeah. The, the, and if, if they've been bad, it's been because of injuries, not because of roster construction. Like they have found a way to almost always be like at minimum a fringe playoff team. Um, and, and that is just I, I think that's admirable. Like they, they constantly field a competitive team even if it's kind of in that mediocre zone, they're just never bad. And I think that that's nice, but kind of looking at the way this season went, um, I think this is how a lot of people thought last season was going to go and, and they, they overachieved last season. But I think this was kind of things correcting themselves. And I just look at the roster. I mean, this coaching situation is obviously bad. Um, yeah, I, I think to, to have, because uh, to me it always matters like who's reporting stuff. And for it to be coming from Woj, I'm just like, okay, like this is obviously officially official. Like, you know, this is coming from multiple people, and and it's risen to that level where it's clearly not good. And I think you you rarely see that with a first year coach, um, him losing and and really anytime we have seen it with, with a a first or second year coach losing the locker room, like that guy's out soon. It, 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 there's never really a recovery w- once you've lost the locker room. Like it, it might get better temporarily, but it's never fully recovered. I mean, looking at like Luke Walton w- w- with the Lakers and, um, you know, Lloyd I'm trying Pierce to like, in Atlanta. Uh, Lloyd Pierce, uh, Jim Boylan w- with the Bulls. Like yeah. those situations never get better. Yeah. Once uh, it leaks they, out, that's, uh, <laughs> it, that's it. The, the, so so that's it. Nate's on borrowed time right now, yes. right? Like he, whether it's this, this offseason or next offseason, I think he's going to be gone within the next 12 to 16 months. Yeah. And, you know, that that's just, you know, that, that's just going to happen. So um, I, I think for, for them, like, it, it just might be time to reset because I, I do think th- they had that nice run where, you know, Paul George and w- with Frank Vogel and, and Lance and, and David West, like that team was a contender. Then they transitioned into the, the Oladipo teams and – they were solid, like they weren't contenders, but they were still good teams. And now they're just in this era where it's like, I think, sure, next season they could be the sixth seed or the seventh seed or something. But what is that really like? You're not winning. Around, I don't think you're winning around with this core. Um, and and obviously the, the you know Karis Levert, um, has, you know had his situation and, and he's been okay. But like I just look at it, and I'm like I you know, I don't think Sabonis and Turner fit together. Uh, I, mm. I think. You know, I like I think it, they've made it work yeah. and it, it's gone about as good as it can go. But but still, at, at its core, I think you want one of those guys on the floor. And it's just weird when, you know, two of your best, whatever, four or five guys are, are, are both centers and, and you know, just not the, the cleanest fit. Um, so, I, yeah, it would be better I, for if me. It's like it, if Turner was like Deadman, 
if Turner was yeah. at the age of Deadman and he had that like where they saw him as just like we he's not going to start obviously but he he feels a purpose we can play him with Sabonis when we need to but there's that difference in age and status and just how they're viewed but Turner just being young and being trade chips and being somebody that they should be looking to flip and like being on the same timeline as Sabonis was always the tricky part is like I think that's part of it with uh um Drummond too him being 27 and uh that just what that does um for guys and for the teams and stuff like that but uh back back to what you were saying no no i mean i i think we're in agreement here where i i just think i mean i think the coaching situation again they're going to figure that out he's probably going to be wouldn't be surprised if he's let go this summer but uh, mm-hmm. you know if they don't what you know they are a small market that they're probably not going to want to pay he has one more guaranteed year so they might not want to pay two coaches uh so yeah. I, I would get if he's brought back but I think for Indiana, this is a, a kind of bigger picture thing because, like, let's take stock of the East right now mm-hmm. of who is going to be, um, like, as good, if not better, next season. So mm. Philly isn't going – I mean, like, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, you could pencil them back in to the top of the East next season. Uh, the Knicks, uh, I mean, they've defied every – convention I, I've, I've thought this season uh but like i mean the knicks i i think are, are obviously better than the pacers and and there's no real reason to think they won't be next season yeah the hawks uh the heat the celtics the hornets will, will have a, a second year lamello yeah. and um maybe they get a real center in, in the off season uh the the wizards i, I think kind of were, were worse i mean now now they've corrected to to kind of being more in the range I thought, but they obviously had a really bad start to the season. Toronto, we, we don't know what's going to happen with them, but if they have a, a no, relatively normal season health-wise, I think Toronto's better than the Pacers. Uh, then, okay, Bulls, Magic, Cavs, Pistons, like, I, I would say the Pacers are better than those teams, but, you know, right now you're in ninth as the Pacers. You, you, there's no reason why you couldn't be in 10th or 11th next season with basically the same roster. So, I'm just like I don't see where this team is going, and I do think it might be time for a a mini teardown and rebuilding. I mean, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, but but just okay, we're, we're rebuilding around Sabonis and Brogdon, or or you know Sabonis, Warren, and Brogdon, or or you know p- pick your two or three core guys and start to shift things around them because I, I think this iteration of the roster isn't going to go anywhere. I don't think they're going to tear it down. Like you said, I don't, I don't think they are either. <laughs> tear down guy. And I also just think, you know, some teams where they just have a lot of solid pieces and you're like, what if they just had the year from hell, got in the lottery, had some luck and then re- bounced right back out because they just got some infusion from some top end talent to pair around a lot of solid role guys. Like the Pacers are maybe the best example of this right now that, I mean, maybe the Spurs are in this group where it's just, they need one guy. Like they have so many role player guys that we like and, I mean, Turner, Sabonis, they haven't had Warren all year. Um, Karis Levert um, just shooting out of his mind. Like, that dude is just getting shots up. But that rotation is just bad with the Holiday Brothers being, like, their only bitch guys, really. Um, and TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell just, what can you do with that? I love the, TJ the ultimate, the ultimate glue guy there. Um, Brogdon's good, though. I, I don't know what his future is in Indian. I guess that's the weird one. But this is, it looks like a very guard-heavy um situation uh in the lottery this year so maybe they uh they miss out lose the playing game and uh they get some luck and then man they're right back there because they have a lot of veterans who know how to play and know how to win and then they have this 
top end Cade Cunningham type. Who knows? Who knows? Um, we'll see what happens in Indy. Um, and also the people ch- like, we'll see what happens with Nate McMillan in Atlanta. Cause most of his <laughs> issues have come in the playoffs. So, um, that's why I've been cautious about the Nate McMillan interim label being taken off. Yes. It's been great, but, uh, let's just see how a series against, uh, the Knicks goes. Let's just see what happens against with him and Thibs. Um, speaking of other coaches, Terry Stotts is apparently going to be out. If the Blazers don't impress whatever that means in the playoffs, and then Mike Budenholzer needs a deep run, too, to save his job. And then Luke Walden, I think we can just go ahead and uh, say that one. That one's out. Tyrese Halliburton out for the year, and uh, just things are not great. That rotation is amazing. I love going through the box score in Sacramento land every every morning, Yovan. It's it's a wild ride to see who's playing for the Kings right now. Um, what do you think? Do you think Bud and Stotts being out is a fair thing? Yeah. Um, I, I think with, with, with thoughts, it, it's the defensive end of the floor of, you know, the, the fact that I, I don't know exactly what they are. I could pull it up in, in net or I mean, uh, in defensive rating right now, but it's not good. Um, and, and you know, I, I think on paper, this was arguably the, I feel like the best defensive talent Portland has had in, in, in this run or, or like, you know, Robert Covington is, I would say you know better than Mo Harkless and, and Al Farouk Aminu, and um, so right now in defensive rating, they're, yeah, they're they're uh, 29th. Jeez, uh, the, the Kings are so <laughs> the Kings are 30th at, at almost two points yeah. per hundred possessions worse. Uh, I, I think they're in the running for all time worst defense. Um, they're in that mix, but yeah, I mean for, for Portland to be that bad defensively, um, you know, I, I think, and then you really look at like the teams. Like, look at the surrounding teams. You got the Kings, the Timberwolves, the Rockets, the Pelicans, the Nets, but they have a historic offense, uh, the Magic, the Thunder, the Cavs. So it's like all those teams are the worst teams in the NBA, plus the Nets who have the best offense and, and you know, three all-NBA type guys, and then you have Portland. So it's like, you, you I mean, part of that is just on coaching and, and scheme and, like, you, there are some limitations having Dame and CJ in the same backcourt and, you know, Nurkic has been out and Zach Collins has been out. And like, I, you know, they have some built in Carmelo Anthony's part of the rotation. Like they have some built, uh, you know, built in excuses, I guess. But for me, like I, I, I think I've said this on this podcast before, like I always felt their, um, their conference finals run was a little bit of fool's gold um, where, you know, I, I just thought they, that that season for me, the three best teams uh, in the West were Golden State, Houston, and Utah, and all three of those teams got matched up on the same side of the bracket. Houston and Utah played each other. Houston won. Then Houston played Golden State in the the conference semifinals, and that's you know the series Golden State won, um, and where KD got injured, and that to me was just like, yeah, I mean, sure you, you beat San Antonio and, and or no, they didn't. I forgot who they played in round one, but they beat uh, Denver in round two. And like, that was a nice win, but I felt if they had, if they had played Golden State or Houston in round two, they would have lost. So I did feel like that was a situation where they just got a very favorable path to the conference finals. And they've kind of lived off of that of like, hey, we made a conference finals. But they also then just got destroyed by a KD less Warriors team where it was just clear like, this team is not at this level. So um, I think for Portland, like, it's been a nice run. But they probably need a new voice. 
Uh, at some point, I, th- I think they're going to have to break up the, the Dame and CJ combo. I, I don't think that's going to work. Where like I, I just think they're, they're realistic second round in a normal year. I mean, the I realistic mean, ceiling is second, there, right? Like yeah. the, the Dame Dollar, who's just not happy about the no fans last night for for the NBA playoffs, but also just the the unhappiness there um, in Portland. Like uh, it, they're getting out there a little bit. Very important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, look at who's reporting it, and, and obviously, you know, Chris Haynes has, has the best relationship with Dame, and I, I think that, yeah. So, and then with Bud, for me, it's just there's a little bit of of Doc Rivers, <laughs> like Doc Rivers syndrome there, um, where it, it's like, okay, you guys like set all these franchise records in the regular season, and, and you have these great records and great seating and stuff, but like when it comes to the playoffs, there's a lot of underachievement. And and um, I think it's not only in Milwaukee, it's going back to Atlanta and uh, some of those seasons where, um, you know, you, you had the one year where they didn't make the conference finals, but they barely got there um, that, you know, they, they almost lost to that Wizards team, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering correctly, and uh, then got smoked, you know, absolutely smoked by by the Cavs. Yeah. And I, I just feel like at, at some point. Really, the last two postseasons have, have done it for me. Where um, it's not just, you know, it's it's look like Miami clearly had a special run. You know, they, they ended up making the finals. I, I think people forget like they took two games off the Lakers and, and they weren't healthy. Like that could have been a, a seven game series or maybe even Miami winning with, with the way that they were playing at that point. Um, so Miami had a special bubble run, but for for me, it was just the lack of adjusting and going down and that that's where i had my biggest issues with doc in the bubble of okay you are married to playing montrez harrell but it is so clearly not working and everybody around the clippers knows it's not working and player even the players are kind of referencing it in the media sessions and then you go into game seven when you guys have blown a 3-1 lead and play montrez harrell 24 minutes and, and, and more time than Evita Zubats. And it's just like, how are you going down doing this? And we've seen the same type of behavior from Bud where he refuses to adjust his defense and he runs the same defensive scheme and it works in the regular season, but it did not work against Miami and it really played into Miami's favor where Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic were getting wide open mid-range jumper after wide open mid-range jumper. And it was just like, you have to adjust at some point like mm-hmm. that is part of like you know Steve Kerr putting on uh, Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and like or Steve Kerr starting Draymond Green over David Lee or going small with Draymond at center You're like have Andy Lou driving and, off the side of the road as he listens to I know. <laughs> uh, and I just and that was just like the first thing that came to mind of like you know stark adjustments in a playoff series and, and now I know Steve Kerr has kind of lost some of that sheen but I, I think it's just like you have to do those types of things in a playoff run to win a championship. And Bud has has yet to show that. And I know they made some changes this year, so we'll see how that plays off. I mean, they're, they're playing much better. They just beat Brooklyn twice. Like, they are looking, to me, like they're still in that mix. But well, not fully healthy Brooklyn. And also, yes, yes, it's yes. not the main two. Like, the Brooklyn stuff for me comes down to Harden and Katie. It's not Kyrie. Kyrie being the third. Like, Kyrie's important. Don't get me wrong, but I think it ultimately comes down to Harden and, and KD. If those two are healthy down the stretch, then I just don't know how you stop picking pop with Harden and uh, 
KD. I think Kyrie just being on the outside um, makes it that much more dangerous. Him and Joe Harris just floating around doing their thing. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not looking too much into the Bucks beating the Nets twice. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, still I think... starting Brook Lopez. Don't love that. Yeah, no, I, I think. I think the PJ Tucker's defense against KD is like semi encouraging, where you're not going to stop KD, especially in a playoff setting. But I think PJ Tucker is one of the guys best equipped to defend him, mm-hmm. right? Like, again, it's not um, like, it's like, I mean, that was what was so nice for Golden State, you know, having multiple guys you could throw at LeBron in the finals, but especially a guy like, like I see PJ Tucker as like an Andre Iguodala, where it's like he's going to specifically be deployed on Kevin Durant. He's going to have a very specific role in that series, and I think he's he's pretty good at it. You know, g- given his lack of size, his age, um, I just think the overall decline in his game. Like he can still check KD reasonably well. Do you know who the Bucks which, could use? Who? Malcolm Brogdon? Oh no 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 no. He plays for the Hawks. They almost had him. Bogey. Snell? They have Badadovich. That stuff doesn't go. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that is I the mean, spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as someone just watching all time great season from Bogey, that dude doesn't miss Jovan. Like, I love having Bogdanovich in the backcourt with Trey. It's so much fun. He is the only one that uh, can take away some of Trey's usage. The only one that can uh, be like, you know, it's my turn. Doing my thing, I I love it, and uh, the the Bucks could uh, use them in their closing five. That uh, that would be really helpful when you're trying to match offensive firepower against the let's just say the the Brooklyn Nets, maybe. Oh, for for sure. Um, I mean, he's he's had a really good year, obviously more recently, um, but you know, help turn around the Hawks season, and I I think uh, I mean that, that that's just going to be one of those like funny what ifs that. People are probably going to forget about because he's not a household name, but but the, you know the, that was just such a weird situation. You know, we, we just rarely see something like that happen. So um, for for that to go down the way it went down, and then him to clearly be, I think, like that type of missing piece that that would have taken them to a different level. It's just um, it's it's unfortunate for the Bucks. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here, Yovan. Um, your MVP as of right now. Jokic. Okay. Um, I think my, my one knock uh, when the Jokic buzz what was starting was that I felt they were too low of a seed because uh, at that point I think they were they were either fifth or sixth, and you rarely. I'm weird and like to go through NBA history and just kind of like look at random stuff. And um, when I was I was making a case earlier in the season for LeBron, so I did all this research on MVP, and it was like. Pretty much every MVP winner is on a top three seed. Um, you know, uh, the the one recent example that that was, you know, much lower was Russell Westbrook. But I also think that that's probably the most criticized or or one of the most criticized MVPs of the last 30, 40 years. So I, I don't think that's the best example to use in, in terms of you know giving a, a lower seeded guy the the award. So. For me, like when I, when we've had these discussions, it's like, okay, sure, you could throw in Steph or Luca or, or, or Dame or um, Jimmy Butler or whoever you want to throw in, but 
I just don't think those guys are on good enough teams. And, and we just have a, a historical precedent throughout NBA history where, you know, yes, stats matter, value to your team matters, usage matters, but team record also is always a, a factor except for really that 2017 uh, Westbrook season. So looking at it, I, I mean, for me, it, it's been uh, – of course, Jokic, I mean Jokic. Now they've been in that three-four mix, so you know, he's right there for that uh, threshold of being an MVP. Um, I look at Embiid, of course, though he's missed I think probably too many games to win it, but he'll probably have him second. Uh, Giannis, the Nets guys, I think have just all missed too many games. Uh, Chris Paul has made a late push for me, not not to win it, but to be in that fourth or fifth spot. Uh, Utah, I, I wouldn't put any of those guys. Kawhi, I think, is sneakily – he has missed a lot of games, so he's also kind of a borderline guy just in terms of, like, missed games. But I think Kawhi's had a better season than people realize. And then I, I guess if Dallas can stay in five, Luka might get that fourth or fifth spot on my ballot um, d- d- depending on, you know, where they finish. So I, I think for me it's it's really been a season of Jokic versus Embiid. But I, I think Jokic has been slightly better. Uh, the, the Nuggets haven't been as good as the, the Sixers, but Embiid has just missed so many games. Jokic has played in every game, and I think for them to be nine and two since Jamal Murray went down, and and you know this is a a deep team, but also a very top heavy team in terms of offensive creation. Like without Jamal Murray, they have guys who can finish, but they don't have a lot of guys who can create. And, and he's a big piece of the offense, a big piece of their success. He was playing better before the injury. So to, to lose him, go 9-2 and two over that stretch, have the, the league's best offense over that stretch, I just think that's another feather in Nikola Jokic's proverbial cap. And, and that, to me, kind of just sealed it of like, you know, because I, I thought, I was like, if, if they dropped to 6, 7, 8, you know, they just collapse without Murray, th- that might, you know, kind of crumble his case. But they've actually played their arguably best basketball, or like one of their best stretches of the season has been without Murray, and you have to give Jokic the primary credit there. So um, I think for, for for me, it's him. And it's, uh, you know, as a Serbian, uh, I think it's pretty <laughs> cool to, to, to see a, a fellow Serb win the award. But um, my guess is he's going to win. Like, I would vote for him, and I think he's going to win it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think he's going to win, too. Um, and, you know, it's the, the one positive um, with losing Murray for the for the season is that Jokic will get an MVP a big what if season I think in Denver um are you what can we check out from you across the athletic.com yeah so I uh just wrote a couple things I, I referenced in here um just wrote about Marcus Gasol and, and his value to the team and and why I, I think it was kind of a, a column slash film breakdown of Marcus Gasol's value to the Lakers um so that's up at the athletic uh, also wrote about sort of the the, the ten uh, moments this season that have, have really kind of led to the, the spot that the Lakers are in, where um, it's it's not a good spot. You know, they, they got a rough rest of the week. They they, they got the Clippers, Blazers, and Suns. So I think we'll have a better idea of where they're actually at uh, come Sunday or Monday. But um, yeah, so definitely check out my work on the Athletic. Uh, also check out the Forum Club podcast which you can listen to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And then um, also Twitter and Instagram at Jovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. All right. Well, keep up the great work. 
my friend. It was great checking in. Thank you, as always, and uh, we will talk basketball again very soon. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.